for June 3rd, 2019. It's the Overthinking It podcast, episode 570. I did not know that this generation's Emilio Estevez was a woman. Welcome to Overthinking It, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it probably doesn't deserve. The overthinkers are like your smart, funny friends from the internet. It's like we've been friends all through high school, but tomorrow we're going to college. And so we have one chance to, to podcast together and, uh, and let it be a real podcast before it all goes up in smoke. So we're actually just going to do an episode of This American Life uh, for this entire <laughs> episode. No, uh, no, we're actually talking about uh, the film... Book Smart, uh, which uh, is the new comedy directed by Olivia Wilde, um, and uh, I, I, is it her feature directorial debut? I think so because I have yeah, not, I, think so. I have not heard of a lot of other feature films directed by uh, directed by Olivia Wilde, um, and it's uh, you know tearing up the. Uh, uh, tearing up the the box office charts, it came in at uh, number eight. So uh, uh, this this week, which is not really saying anything, but uh, I thought it was number six. It's number eight. Uh, last week was number six. Oh man! And this this week uh, it is um, it's number eight. And it uh, it seems to be doing pretty well for for a movie of this type. Anyway, before we dive in, I'm Matt Rather. Uh, with me is our usual uh, my my usual partner in cast, Pete Fenzel. Hey, Pete. Hey, Matt. I'm psyched that you know, let's be friends forever, Matt. Even after graduation. Uh, sure. I, I think we can do it. <laughs> our uh, our our normal uh, podcasting friend, uh, Mark, is he got stuck at a different party. He uh, he didn't come to this party. He he went to a different one. But uh, he'll be he'll be back next week at our at our one week reunion of this podcast. And we uh, we are glad to be joined by our good friend Amanda Avisati Jordan. Thank you very much for joining us. You're welcome. Prom, woohoo! Um, <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> prom, woohoo! Prom, woohoo! Oh my god. Woo! It's not in this movie, but don't care. Prom, woohoo! <laughs> Uh, all right. So let's, uh, let's, um, let's dive in. I, I want to say something to start about, about this movie. We see so much, uh, uniformly extruded corporate film product. <laughs> that uh that I am uh kind of happy to see and talk about on this podcast a film that has some idiosyncrasy some personality uh and personality that's not like finely calibrated and focus grouped to to within an inch of its life some some personality like and and even risks sort of being not bad but but uh, even risks being kind of not for everyone in in some parts and and it's just you know i don't know as as a first feature it's a little messy uh not not completely tight you know as a work of storytelling uh, narrative storytelling or visual storytelling or or you know any number of things but like um but i don't know it 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 has a quality of uh, of uniqueness and it has a quality of um, heart, I guess, that I that I really appreciated and responded to. But uh, I know in in preparing for this, uh, we had a long chat online, and and you guys sort of delved into this film as a teen movie. So I guess let me ask you, Amanda, what even is a teen movie? So I think for many, many years, like, you know, with like John Hughes and everything, teen movies were movies that focus on high school. And I think the big thing that differentiates a teen movie from a movie about teens is that a teen movie always has a big mission and it usually involves prom. A lot of them is like losing your virginity like American Pie or like finding a date to prom or like tricking a girl to go to prom with you like she's all that or um, 10 Things I Hate About You or... And because the thing a lot is of the like, best, a lot of the best relationships are based on deception. <laughs> oh yeah, manipulation. You know, totally. Exactly. I mean, it just gives it that extra spice. Yeah, <laughs> I, we're, we're launching the My Fair Lady cinematic universe. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> I, I love what you're saying there, Amanda. Uh, I, I would I'd add to it uh, to put it in, to sort of take that and put it in literary context. If you think of the realm of coming of age stories, a teen movie it, it is two things, right? It is teen and it is movie. Uh, it is a highly compressed coming of age story. And, and I would even venture to say where there is a the, you choose to make a, a teen movie because you want to see the transformation that happens uh, through a sort of an adolescent transformation from a child into an adult compressed down into kind of a singular event where multiple different through lines of personal transformation are all happening at once. And they often are very high concept and have the same, and by high concept, I mean, you know, the thing that is happening is kind of dominating the story uh, as, you know, oh, it's the prom. Oh, it's, you know, like the, the bet to lose your virginity. Like My Fair Lady. My Fair Lady is sort of a teen movie. <laughs> Although I guess I'm just thinking of She's All That, which is the vast improvement on My Fair Lady with Freddie Prince Jr. and whatnot. No, but, um, but just, yeah, that like you have these story beats that happen that compress the path of coming of age, which is sort of the path of kind of uh, rebelling from the status quo and kind of coming back into a new status quo, kind of figuring out how you fit into the world whatever the sort of scope of the world is, you know, you're on this journey to fit into the world and that's like coming of age. Well, in a teen movie, you do that in an hour and a half and you do it by some sort of highly symbolic thing that because it is uh, so symbolic can carry the weight of, of transformations that would generally take a much longer amount of time is what I would venture to say. Um, and I would even venture to say that the teen movie range and Amanda, I want to hear your take on this that there are a lot of teen movies that aren't strictly most of them are kind of naturalistic ish comedies with a heavily melodramatic flair, right? They're sort of melodramatic comedies that could conceivably happen behind a fourth wall, but not really. Uh, there are some dramas, but like, yeah, you know, teen movies often lean more towards comedic, but I would also even say that there are high concept sci-fi movies that are ostensibly teen movies, uh, you know, like, is Twilight a teen movie is kind of a question, right? Is is Labyrinth a teen movie is kind of a question um, in the sense that they're all kind of tackling this, like, highly compressed personal transformation. Um, I mean, I don't know. Amanda, you had a lot of other thoughts about like, yeah. like, where is the sort of edge of this particular sphere of the Venn diagram with regards to teen movies and kind of what's happening. Teen movies versus movies about teens. Yeah, it's interesting you just brought up Twilight. I was just talking to my cousin, an actual teen, before this podcast. An actual real-life teen? Did you, did a you real life teen. a whole bunch of products and brands? Now, uh, <laughs> Excellent. Oh, at, awesome. At the peril of like getting us way, of course, an actual teen only by American or like Anglophone standards because she's 19. And outside of Anglophone countries, the second you turn 18, you're legally an adult, so you're no longer a teen. Oh, but interesting. Stay a teen because of the whole teenager 19 thing. So anyway, she's a teen by your standards. It counts. Wait, wait, let me ask you a very side question. In uh -huh. other, in non-Anglophone cultures, are you saying that the root word for being a sort of spunky skateboard riding adolescent is not the same root word as it is for numbers between 13 and 20? <laughs> like not there's at not all. that part of it. Like, okay. Numbers don't all end the same way, and we do use the word adolescent. And the thing is, in non-Anglophone languages the word adolescent stands in opposition to the world adult like one kind of excludes the other gotcha gotcha you gotcha. can't have both and so the fact to me that like americans consider you know 19 year olds teenagers is very confusing because like but but how how it's like when you tell an american that like keanu reeves is like kind of both white and a person of color it's like they go but, but how why how it's the whole person of color white, it's the teen adult. Like those two things don't can't coexist together, even if they factually do somehow, <laughs> depending on your cultural frame. Are you talking about someone being not not I'm uh, not a girl, but not yet a woman? Is that exactly? <laughs> it's like in, in the is a great teen movie, like, right there. You have it's, many it's, years to be not a girl, not yet a woman, whereas in other countries, like drastic, like. You turn eighteen, bam. Are you a girl? Are you a woman? Look at the calendar. <laughs> 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 that I mean that awesome. that's sort of interesting. Like just to to just pull us way down into this uh, <laughs> rat hole. Um, I mean, thirteen in in English, like eleven, twelve, thirteen through nineteen, is isn't it a contraction of three and ten, four and ten, five and ten? 
Uh, I thought it was just a. I thought it was a contraction of Teen Wolf. <laughs> so you were a thirteen Teen Wolf, a fourteen, teen, a fourteen Wolf, a five Teen Wolf, and then, <laughs> but Wolf got dropped over time after the Norman conquests. It's uh, they stopped referring to them as Teen Wolves and just started referring to them as teens. So okay, so let me <laughs> let me uh, let me just go to Wiktionary here. The <laughs> the etymology. Well, hear about says, what the real teen said. There is something that a real teen actually said that's relevant to this movie that we'll find out. But first, Matt. <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, it's 13. I looked up 13. So uh, mid-English, 13, variant of 13 from Old English, 13, theortien, Proto-Germanic, um, and a... Oh, so there are cognates in Dutch German and Danish. Of but, course, there's a cognate in Dutch, Matt. <laughs> God. Uh, yeah, I mean, in German, those words just end with zehn, which is the word for ten. So, 13, 14, 15. So, just 510. Okay, got six, it. So, so, so it's, a, it's a Germanic. But there's pro- no such word as a zehn major. <laughs> yeah. So, it's a third. It's a. It, it's a like it's a marketing word, right? Like it's. Yeah. I feel like it's a it's an American marketing word, and and the idea that like sort of adolescence was invented in the Industrial Revolution to uh, kind of mark the time at which it's okay to go to work in a factory, right? <laughs> As the economy develops. Um, the the teenage years are sort of invented as a way of of keeping people in high school for uh for for a little bit so so what did this real fake teenager have to say about the about the film uh i will get to that in a second but just so another factor i just realized that also helps with this whole stretching of the not a not a girl not yet a woman thing in american culture is that you guys can't drink until you're 21 Right, right. So you stay teenagers way longer. You know, everybody else, either you get every single one of your adult rights at 18 or you finish getting them at 18. Like the very last one comes at 18. Like I don't I can't think of any rights that a German or a Brazilian kid or whatever would get. At, you know, after 18, like at 18, you got them all. You're a legal adult in every way possible. Can they rent cars? Because I'm pretty sure. Because here you can't rent a car until you're 25. I know, but it's even crazier because you guys start driving earlier, so you have more experience. Um, <laughs> all right, what was the, what was the read? What was okay, the, so the real She was telling read? me, you know, I was asking her about teen movies. She told me she loves them, but then she mentioned a bunch of the ones from my time. Like, you know, not another teen movie, which is more of a parody of a teen movie, but I would still put in the genre. She's all that, all of those. And then I asked her, what's up with teen movies in her generation? And what we realized is when she was growing up, they weren't making teen movies the way I understand them, the whole mission thing. Like, they were making movies about teenagers but they weren't teen movies in quotation marks like high school musical and twilight which is you know a vampire movie that happens to feature teens or high school musicals i don't know the disney universe something something whatever the disney channel unified universe i forgot the words anyway yeah. Basically, that like the formula that like went from John Hughes to the late '90s, early 2000s, kind of stopped being being made. The same way that rom coms kind of disappeared for a while, and now they're back. Oh yeah, they're back with a vengeance. If uh, set it up on Netflix didn't do a crazy rich Asians really did, uh... and you know, always be my maybe, and now Booksmart. Because the thing that you know. Uh, one thing that happened was when Lady Bird came out, everybody flipped out over it, and I really enjoyed it. It was a great movie. But people were talking about it like it was this like mind blowing, groundbreaking thing, and I didn't understand it until I realized it's because Lady Bird wasn't a teen movie; it was like an indie drama slice of life that happened to focus on a teen. Yeah, but it's uh, I mean, when you say everybody went crazy over La- Lady Bird, that's only true for a very specific definition oh, yeah, I mean, of, of everybody. I'm 100 percent talking about my specific corner of Twitter, which is very, very specific. Pretty much just former Roseanne cast members. <laughs> that's like the subset of. The- people um, uh, but what happens is teen went away and ya came in right <laughs> yeah exactly and now you know book smart is kind of the return of that like it, people connected to ladybird because beanie feldstein was 
not the titular character, but the titular character's best friend in Lady Bird. But Booksmart is a return of the old-fashioned, traditional teen movies. Yeah, I mean, it's, right. there's a question in these movies about sort of who they're who they're made by. I mean, they're not made by teenagers. Honestly, if you want to see teen cinema, it's on Vine more than it's on, you know, or the... the, the TikTok, man. Old man. Or, yeah, TikTok. Like, <laughs> TikTok. Vine. Yeah, exactly. I'm five years too late with my Vine reference. Exactly. That's that's because I'm not one of these kids anymore. But like, yeah, it's, it's, it's going to be online rather than on uh on the kind of the big screen the cinema street uh, screen and that's that's like you know to uh it's it's interesting to live in a time where the the means of production have been democratized to an extent that there can actually be a teenage cinema that you know that sort of exists and that is a thing that you can sort of see and and study though though you can't really see it because i i don't have tiktok you know i I don't look at that stuff but like um but presumably i guess i could and 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 then a sort of cinema about teens but before that was the case like in in the john hughes um you know, in the in the John Hughes uh, kind of heyday, you know, he he was praised a lot, I guess, for making films about teenagers that actually, to a certain extent, rang true to teenagers about their about their experience, and and were not super patronizing, or were not, you know. Um, too nostalgic like like greece or something like that you know looking back at at a time in america that never happened and a time in adolescent development that actually never happens you know um the the greece the greece lightning developmental phase uh (laughs) now i mean it's it's I think he accomplished this by actually making movies about people uh, because teenagers appearances to the contrary notwithstanding are people and you know the the I realize that like John Hughes now is problematic and we we you know ne- we never liked him to begin with but uh I, I think there are at least two there are at least two distinct um I think there are two distinct kinds of things that you can look at. One is like teen exploitation movies. That is to say, your exploitation in the sense of, of film distribution. Like you're trying to get a teen audience uh right. for this movie. The like other meatballs. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, and the other is like uh, nostalgia movies, movies about um, movies sort of about your your teen years and kind of like about about coming of age. And like Stand By Me is an interesting film in this uh, in this regard, because it's not um, it's sort of a mission movie, sort of not a mission movie. Like they don't start out with the mission. They develop it later. <laughs> and it's, uh, yeah. Anyway. So like, so that, and like the, but then I think in, in the contemporary world with authenticity discourse being what it is, you know, it's, it, it's almost like you, you have to, there's a lot of ceremony and there has to be kind of a lot of apology around the idea of, um, around the idea of like, well, no, it's not made by real teenagers, but like we got as close as we could or something like we got, you know, the, the, the claim to like anthropological accuracy has to be, you know, I don't know, has to be there somehow, whether or not it it makes a damn bit of difference in terms of the, the artistic qualities uh, of, of this film. And I think that, that, you know, I don't know, there's certain, gestures that this movie makes towards um uh towards that but that it's it's uh sort of interesting but so the, the i mean i just brought up my actual teen cousin to bring street cred to my appearance in this podcast so. yeah absolutely <laughs> I, no i i get it uh i mean we all have to like you know we all have to like ha- find find a way in my my way in is through uh management theory um, <laughs> Again, and, excellent. I love it. And so here's here's uh, I want to talk about smart goals for a second because the <laughs> the mission of this movie is not a smart goal. Uh, the mission of this movie is we're we're going to have some fun. We're going to like uh, live it up, have some fun before uh, high school is is over. Uh, because the day you know the day after the last day of school is the day you graduate. So. Um, 
And you know, so the the a smart goal is a is a acronym that's meant to um, describe good goal setting for project planning in you know large scale project management. Um, it's uh, it's an acronym that stands for specific, measurable, attainable, relevant, and timely. So uh, attainable, relevant, and timely are all. Uh, qualities that this goal this that their mission has like they can have fun they can go have some fun it is relevant uh you know to their experience that they have fun so it's not like it's not like their goal is to i don't know build a a butter sculpture of the school mascot and like make a movie about that that would be an irrelevant goal and it is uh it is timely there it's it's time bound uh in a sense like tomorrow will come and we'll know whether we've had or will tomorrow will come and there will be a time at which we can assess uh or we should be able to assess whether we'd have fun or not. But can we assess that? Is this goal specific and, uh, and is it measurable? Um, I guess it gets... That off- is shockingly relevant to the movie. <laughs> because, you know, one thing that happens is that at many points during the night, Amy wants to go home and Molly's saying, we're not there yet. No, yeah, we the can't- they're not there yet is because there's no way to measure it. Yeah, they, What's we, there? Can't, we can't declare victory. What is there? You know, there's no so there to- there. Now, they operationalize this as we're going to go to Nick's party. And they kind of, there is kind of a second unstated thing, which is that we're going to, uh, you know, we're going to get busy smooching with some, uh, uh, with, with our romantic interests. Um, but, but sorry, Pete, you want to jump in? Oh, um, I, I wanted to offer a, a brief case study as an example, right? Before oh, we yeah, got please, into books more specifically. So, for example, consider a movie that influences this movie Harold and Kumar go to White Castle. Yep. Right. So is it specific? Yes, they are going to White Castle. <laughs> nope. And they even discuss while framing their goal whether they are going to a specific White Castle or whether a, either of the White Castles in New Jersey are acceptable. They determine that they are going to a White Castle, right? Um, yeah. And so it, and then it is uh, specific. And then what's the M, Matt? Well, it, it's not only specific uh, as to what the goal is. It's to specific as to who does it. Right. Yes, Harold and Kumar are the team is Harold and Kumar. Right. right? Exactly. They are assigned to the project. Right. And they will know the project is over when they have arrived and presumably have eaten food at White right. House. When Harold, mostly it's yeah, going to White House. Because I'm, we've all sat in meetings, right, yeah. where like very specific action items are formulated but not delegated. And so that's right. uh, you know, that's a failure too. Uh, measurable. You know, how right. will we know how, how will we know? They, yeah. yeah. How do we know we're at White Castle? Right. And well, it's observable. Right. We can see that it's a White Castle. There's a sign. There's a very clear (laughs) distinction between the White Castles and other places that are not White Castle. Uh It's not like a judgment call. Well, it's like, oh, well, you know, we're at a Little Caesars. That's sort of close. No, it's not like we're going to the burger joint. We're going to White Castle. Right. And Little Caesars isn't even a burger joint. But so so it's specific because it's Harold and Kumar and it's White Castle. It's measurable because you know whether you've arrived at the White Castle or not. And they even talk specifically about the amounts of hamburgers, the like numbers of hamburgers that they want to eat when they arrive at the White Castle, refining their goal, right, and making this whole thing feel more actionable, right? Perfect. And then, A, actionable, right? Uh, Can they go to White Castle? Attainable. Attainable, attainable, right? Attainable. Can they go to White Castle? It really seems like they can't, right? There's a whole (laughs) bunch of things that make it seem like they can't, but it turns out that they can. And certainly when they set out, it seems like they can, right? When they set the goal, it seems like going to White Castle is attainable. They're not saying, oh, we're going to go to... You know, we're going to go to Spencer's and Marks, right? We're going to swim across the Atlantic Ocean, and we're going to we're going to Marks and Spencer's. Rather, we're going to go to a British department store. No, we're going to White Castle. We are in New Jersey. That is where we're headed. And then, is it relevant? Yes, White Castle is always relevant. And is it timely? They are hungry, <laughs> right? And so they they don't set a strict time it's, bound. It's, so yeah, it's but... re- relevant is because they're hungry, and time timely would be like yeah, it's not Harold and and Kumar go to White Castle before eight tomorrow morning. That's that's interesting. Interesting. It's not time bound yeah. in that particular sense. Right, right, right. But to contrast it with one of the things that this does is that once you have all of these things down, once you have the plan down, nobody really assumes that everything is always going to go according to plan. But because you've set a goal that has all these characteristics, when you encounter obstacles, you can keep your eyes on the goal and you can re focus and redefine on the goal. Okay, it's Neil Patrick Harris on a horse. What are we going to do? Well, specifically what we have to do, we have to go to White Castle, right? Uh, Et cetera, et cetera. Whereas, uh, and that also helps with, I think, the humor of it being a comedy, 
because it helps you kind of play variations on themes. It helps you kind of like throw things at them. Uh, the movie kind of feels grounded in the task that they're trying to accomplish, as well as in their relation to it. And they've they've normed before they head out. Right. Yeah. They've as a team done some norming. Uh, but in book smart, yeah, we don't it's, have a yeah. They, they they it's it's a book smart goal, right? Right. Where uh, it, se- it seems like maybe they've read some theory about having fun, but they uh, <laughs> they haven't done a lot of practice in having. They have to question when they've gone to a party whether they've gone to a party because yeah, because it's not measurable, and yeah. they have to refine on the fly what their goals are as opposed to reacting in the moment to obstacles. And if they were to react to the moment to obstacles. Then, then we can watch them react, and them sort of going, living in the problem of reacting to the obstacles is how you kind of get to that screwball comedy vibe that they're sort of that this movie is related to, but not in love with, uh, right? That it's like it's it's a teen movie, and it can't it doesn't like necessarily that it's a teen movie, but it is. It doesn't necessarily like that it's made in the DNA of screwball teen comedies, but it is. And it has this influence, uh, this tonal influence here in one of the drafts or whatever. Um, uh, but yeah, and it's and they have to, and because they have to kind of keep moving the goalposts, that makes it less funny and makes it more dramatic. Like they have to keep redefining who they are and what they want. It's not like we have to get laid by graduation, right? Um, yeah, that's American. Everything I, I mean, knows that's that American everyone who knows about German teenagers is that you plan everything. <laughs> like you, everything is regimented. <laughs> <laughs> The German team movie is about getting to somewhere in a certain amount of time, accomplishing the task, turning around, and going home, and getting home in time to get a good night's sleep so that you can go to the factory in the morning. Right? That is that is a German team movie. Uh, and they can have it because they have they have the particle and the etymology. So yeah, there exactly. You, you know, uh, the Hansel and Gretel eat strudel. Go to, go to, go to strudel castle. um yeah i mean so so like what what is the what is the goal i mean really i don't know these things like and and these things are sort of subsets of quest narratives right and they they, um even the ones that aren't about boning are about boning you know like uh you're gonna gonna stick the sword in the monster right like uh, a fairy queen or something i you know or 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 in this movie diving into the swimming pool and in replacing the phallic and penetrative imagery with one of kind of like yonic surroundedness yeah right it's really like i mean what, I, that was that was a really and moisture. good yeah. Yeah, and, yeah. <laughs> this is not a this is a movie not about penetrating the pie but about the moisture that is within the pie right that is, that is the state of the being it's the about pie, yeah exactly right? it's about being enveloped by by the pie you know it's like um but that's uh yeah i mean it's uh you know it's yeah gosh it's it's interesting i mean they they um they they talk about sex in, in this movie the characters do in a way that strikes me as sort of realistic in that it is sort of it's over mature and also kind of under mature right like uh it you know it's clear they masturbate it's clear that they talk about that they live in a, a culture where like there probably is a lot of like very self-serious like sex education that happens in their social economic milieu um right they they and they're also in a kind of a uh high school social group that would probably have read you know um the the classics of like you know second wave feminism or something that that you know they they it is that kind of they have that kind of like um Dawson's creakiness to them uh where they're they seem like extremely extremely literate and then also like very inexperienced as well like with the actual kind of human human dimensions the 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 aspects that are messier than the messiest pie is like the sort of interpersonal interpersonal dynamics and the thing of like you have to sort of go up to someone and talk to them or like they you don't like that they don't like you just because you like them uh you know the those those sorts of things and kind of like getting a sort of overdeveloped fantasy life that that has to do with like living in your head a lot um and not uh not you know talking about not talking about um 
the the actual here here and now like actual actual lived experience and like i sort of loved i mean i i loved the the scene in the swimming pool you know that it seemed like one of the few times when the movie got sort of did something um did something a little bit allegorical uh that was not theatrical Right, because it worked as it, there, there were all kinds of theatrical moments uh, in this film, like both in the kind of self-conscious performance that we all do now because we all are little auteurs with cameras in our pockets, and and also are you know live in a, a, a social cultural discourse where it seems like everything's been done and and all you can do is kind of quote things back and forth to each other, um, and. Uh, and then sort of theatrical in the sense of like non-realistic, uh, non-representative filmmaking, you know, which is one of the things that I enjoyed and gave, gave this movie sort of personality, right? Uh, the, the, the theatrical aspects of it. But this, you know, diving into the swimming pool, like, is, is a thing that you do at high school parties, or at least that I did at, at many high school parties, right? And that, like, uh, it had all the, it had all the aspects, right? It was a, a pool full of water, and she dived into it. Complete realism in all of those, uh, <laughs> in all of those aspects. But then also, like, jumping into the water, the idea of going into the deep end, you know, um, all the kind of metaphorical aspects to it. Uh, the fact that like you come into contact with people's bodies, the fact that people are like by and large more unclothed than they go about, you know, day to day. Um, you know, especially at a party where you don't plan to swim, where you strip down to your underwear, like there's this sort of sexy aspect to it. And like, she's sort of underground. And, and there's also a sense in which it's like another world under the sea, under the sea, under the sea, under the sea. I can't wait for the live action of that one. Uh, the live action remake of that Disney film, by the way, actually shot by real mermaids, uh, you know, in an actual underwater ocean environment. So the, um, the kind of going in and you know i don't know and it's sexy and you have to kind of like move your body around in a new uh in a new way in order to kind of navigate this underwater realm you have to like and you see people's you know you see people's legs and you see this and that and you you also and and then it was like it was too good it was too exuberant at that moment and i thought oh poop like bad things are going to happen to both of these characters right now you know because it got too the pendulum has swung too far. It's like really, really highlighting the fact that like things are going very well. And, uh, um, and so, yeah, then, then it, then the, the kind of the disappointment and the, the low point has to, uh, has to sort of happen. Um, I, you know, I don't know, but it, but I, I sort of appreciated it and it felt like it kind of, it felt exuberant and kind of exhilarating in a way that was earned, you know, and not just, not just sort of, you weren't just sort of told that this is like exuberant and exhilarating, right? Right, definitely. I think that, yeah, um, it was a really beautiful scene. I remember like watching the movie, you know, the whole movie is very fun and funny, but watching her swim in the pool is the first time you actually feel like you're at the party and you're having a good time and you feel like you're in their places. Yeah, it's, it also feels like one of the first really sincere moments of discovery, right, where they where they really they see something and that they haven't seen before. There's that moment of peripatia where she recognizes that Nick and uh, and Ryan, Brian. Yeah, Ryan. Ryan are, are hooking up. Right. And it's like, oh, this is the kind of forbidden knowledge that you get when you go beneath the waves of the, of the <laughs> pool. Right. When you go beneath the surface, you see the truth. And the truth is kind of horrible. Uh, and, and and shocking and dramatic, um, and yeah, and, and then I, I can't help but contrast the movie in these respects to one of my favorite similar movies. And I guess we can maybe ring the changes a little bit on a couple of the different movies that are related to this movie, whether it wants them to be or not. Yeah, one of them. One of them is my personal favorite teen movie, other than not another teen movie, which is beautiful, uh, which is Can't Hardly Wait, which I really feel connected to because you know I watched it. You know it was. Uh, I think I came out the year before I graduated, I think, but I watched it again when I graduated. So it's very much of my moment. Right. And the, and the sense of the sense of anticipation in that movie and the kind of the relationships between the ensemble among the ensemble cast in that movie, uh, I, that to me 
really spoke to the way in which these people are all kind of moving forward as individuals. They're also kind of moving forward together. But there's also this relation between you kind of encountering this world in a, in a relatively new light. And you were previously you were small, but also the consequences of things that could happen to you were like somewhat limited. And in Can't Hardly Wait, there's this like sense of anticipation of like, I'm going to be really big. I'm going to transform and be this like greater person, this adult person. But then along with that, the kind of humiliations and consequences and the stakes of what that means, and it's all in the context of like a screwball comedy, are also elevated, right? To like spiritual levels. Like there's, you know, angels on this on the park benches, right? Talking to you about kind of your long dark night of the soul, however cliche and heteronormative it might be. Um and and there's the set and the characters also have these kind of like really intense desires that they're trying to satisfy, uh, whether it's like I really need to prove something or I need really need to to uh, to my, my status or I love this person or or like I, I'm so insecure, I'm so crushingly insecure. And one of the and you mentioned that in Booksmart, these this is a mature these are mature teenagers who you have the sense are not kind of being shown. They're not like finding the pornography, right? Like under the bed, right? They know where it is. They just choose not to watch it most of the time. Right. It's not like, Oh man, uh, there's not this sort of like huge sense of like, wow, this world is kind of unknown. And I have this impetus to kind of engage with it and also engage with myself. That's like overwhelming in this moment where everything is sort of coming together in this great moment of transition. And this movie isn't like that. The characters are more staid and balanced. Uh, and that kind of means that it doesn't have that sense of like graduation is the transformation isn't really what this movie is about. It's it does put a ticking clock on what they're trying to accomplish. But it's even more like they're looking to kind of, uh, what did I describe it as? It's like, this is a movie with an unreliable narrator, and the unreliable narrator thinks that she lives in a teen movie, but she doesn't. Mm. And she's trying to understand the world around her based on her own confidence, right? And I guess you could even say, if you really wanted to kind of stretch it and, and kind of be the reader interpreter rather than the writer interpreter, I'm sure you could say she is book smart because she knows what teenagers are supposed to be like. And she sees the teenagers around her and she assumes that they are the way that she thinks that they are supposed to be. Um, it is perhaps not a coincidence that her name is Molly, which is like Molly Ringwald, the classic kind of teenage uh, movie teenager girl, right? Uh, kind of uh, from the old John Hughes movies. Oh, that's a whole other kettle of fish. We can talk about that in a second. But just this idea of like, and then the big revelations in the movie aren't necessarily revelations of things that happened to her. They're revelations that her idea of what the world around her was like are wrong. And her ideas of like what her relationship with her friends are like are wrong. And it's about kind of breaking this notion of what teenagers can and can't do. Um, and it also breaks a whole bunch of other things, uh, but it's not about the graduation changing them. Uh, it's about the graduation being the time limit for her to have really understood what high school was all about, uh, yeah, which is apparently hanging out with lots movie. of fabulously wealthy people without really recognizing just how privileged they all are. Uh, <laughs> but anyway, sorry, man, I hear I think you getting a big in there. Factor in like what she's trying to accomplish is that it's the opposite of other teen movies where like they have a goal and, uh, Sorry, I got the thought. I just have to put it into words. I think it's a thing of like she realizes that, you know, the last little bit of high school, she didn't properly experience high school. And it's not a matter that things change after graduation is that she's never going to be able to have that experience if time runs out and she's out of high school because it's just a whole different thing. It's a different circumstance context. So she's trying to, you know, she had four years that she didn't use at all in that sense. And she's trying to retroactively relive high school and do it right this time in one night because that's all she gets and after that she's going to be in a whole other context her friend isn't going to be there anymore she's going to be with kids who have already lived that so that's her last chance to live all that out with peers her own age who are also going through the same things i would i would i would i would agree and i would add that she wants to have done it i think yeah i, I don't think she actually wants to do it i don't think it's like oh man like you know, I haven't had sex yet and I really want to have sex really bad. Right. It's like I want to be a. I realized that I thought that I made myself the per, the right. I thought that the image of myself that I have created for others and for myself through my actions matches the full realization of my high school experience. This is a this is a movie in which the characters are Snapchatting or Instagramming. I don't think whoever is doing it didn't pay them enough. 
right? So I don't think we actually find out what social media platform they're using, or is <laughs> I'm not sure. They did they did name check Lyft a lot. Lyft gave them some money, right? But uh, but but it's like it's it's not necessarily that she wants to party because she feels like she was missing something. Yeah, it's it's that she wants she realizes that her sacrifice looks silly or looks mean. Yeah, it's like she she's not as well rounded as the other kids, and she's trying to fix that in the last second she can. Right, right. Well, it's, it's like she wants. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I mean the the idea that she only finds out at the end that her her uh, co evals, you know, are smart. Like her classmates are, you know, ad, are capable as she is of getting into, you know, highly selective colleges. Um, you know, I don't know whether or not they all pretended to be on the soccer team or something. Like the the. <laughs> They have just uh, that school just has a room with a rowing machine in it and a green screen. Yeah. That's just how you get into school. It's called guidance counselor at the top. <laughs> That's the right. And the the um, oh yeah. Yale. <laughs> the whole the whole thing seems like um, I don't know. Seems sort of implausible to me. That level of you know, especially someone who's supposed to be book smart, who's supposed to be kind of smart and like perceptive and like good at doing homework and sort of able to go to the library, fist bump the librarian and look up a whole bunch of like, you know, county, like, like county assessor property tax records. She pres Belusky that situation. With a librarian at school. Good times, memories. (laughs) But that's like, uh, you know, and also not have compiled a dossier on on where you know triple a or or other people are are going to school you know and have not like the idea and and i realize this is this is because it's a story right like this is the theatrical aspect to it this is because you know you you give it you give it 24 hours and it's uh it you know it becomes metaphorical right and like the the um the thing that sort of ends the first act right like the idea that uh you know, I don't know the idea that she has to that that her world is shattered, the, that her perspective is shattered, um, and she is not you know the only high achieving student at this uh, at this high school. She's just the most uptight, um, right? Like that has to come in the first act because it has to it it provides an impetus for a lot of the the um, the other things to, to to do. But like you know. I, the um the what the mission that they embark on seems like an insufficient response to the sort of new reality that they're encountering right like the whole thing is pretext uh to get to the fight that they that they have at the at the party right like because the whole um it's not that uh it's not that like you are insufficient and you need to do something uh you know have sex go to prom uh whatever to prove that you are a complete person or a you know worthy adult or you know whatever cool you know cool enough or or um had time you know or like at least it, or enjoyed a day like ferris bueller um no, uh, it's the the thing. The thing about this this movie and this character, like considered seriously, taken seriously, is like you are so fundamentally broken as a person that like <laughs> everything about you is built on lies, right? Your your best friendship is built on lies. Your sense of of status, the kind of the the, the shreds of status and dignity that you cling to at school, uh, is built on lies, and you can tell it's built on lies because it's this sort of it's this black and white, you know, take no prisoners listening to uh uh listening to you know uh the meditation the guided meditation at the beginning My rules. yeah exactly right and it's like that you know the streets will run with the blood of those who oppose you you know that that like that is you know the, too much the 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 young lady doth protest too much um and and like that's not ever really addressed in a straightforward way uh in the film so it feels it feels like a film that ought to be about something else um ought to be about something else but is about what it's about while kind of glancing at the something else and like the the uh the paradigmatic scene 
for me in this is the scene when um Oh, what is the Caitlin Deaver uh, character called? Amy. When Amy, uh, Amy pick, yeah, Amy picks Molly up at home, and you know she does a whole lot of like dancing and posing, and like generally being silly on the the steps on the way down. Um, you know, uh, uh, she, by the way, she lives in an apartment building, and everyone else seems to live in a house. So, like, is there some sort of economic anxiety that undergirds her need to like uh, to hyperachieve and like um you know to overachieve and like perform like peak performance stuff you know completely completely not addressed um but uh she does all these dance moves and then then amy gets out of the car and does some dance moves too and it goes exactly nowhere it's like okay is this done is this bit done now <laughs> like literally that's how the scene ends and you know uh, uh to a certain extent like mm, a, a lot of things a lot a lot of more important questions are glossed over by doing like a funny dance and then asking is this bit done now yeah i think Pete brought up pretty in pink earlier and i think the thing is it looks like that's where they were going with it and they just forgot to actually go there because <laughs> she's you know in pretty in pink molly ringwald's character is uh significantly poor le- lower income than the other school kids and that's a big plot point like she's kind of treated badly in school because of it she makes her own prom dress which I'm sorry, but she took two decent dresses and turned it into one hideous thing. But anyway, uh, and that's a big plot point. It's meant to be said sarcastically. (laughs) (laughs) One of the dresses was really nice. She didn't have to do it. What has that dress ever done to her? (laughs) But anyway, I think, you know, this movie was clearly heading this direction because she really does live in an apartment. And I don't really... I've never been to LA, but I got the sense that like that would have been a really nice apartment for like a young adult or a young couple, but it didn't really seem like a place big enough for like a whole family and stuff. And you never see her family. They're not even mentioned. And, you know, you see Molly's parents all the time and it's heavily implied the other kids all live with their parents because, you know, they all have gigantic houses and stuff. The kid that has the murder mystery party, his family's even just sitting there waiting for the party to be over. And I think the whole not seeing her family life at all, seeing she lives in the apartment just come out on her own kind of implies that like maybe she's raised by a single mom and her mom's busy and she's not around much, but they never went anywhere with that. And that would explain the whole superiority complex and why she worked so hard and never took a break and never enjoyed anything because, you know, she really did must have felt like she had to, like everybody else had connections and money and, you know, bribes possibly. <laughs> and she just had this one way to get into college, which is to try her absolute hardest and just not have a life. Yeah, it's interesting how this lines up because, yeah, Pretty in Pink is totally one of the other movies that's in the DNA of this movie. And and it's it's been flipped in a bunch of ways, right? Because Pretty in Pink is this movie about this low, this working class teenage girl who wants to be with this upper middle class kind of clean cut guy and has a best friend who is like a sort of quirky, authentic, lovable guy. And I think even John Hughes wanted the quirky, authentic, lovable guy and the working class girl to end up together, but it tested poorly with audiences. And so the happy ending at the end of the movie is that the upper class, upper middle class guy who is more normal is the one who ends up with the working class girl. And that's kind of validating for her that she really is pretty and then a this tiny movie. bit of trivia, Ducky was originally supposed to be played by Robert Downey Jr. Oh, wow. <laughs> I wonder why that didn't happen. <laughs> Probably some sort of work-life balance issue. Maybe <laughs> Matt can get into a management theory issue on that. Um, but like, but this movie flips that on its head, right? Because the movie has that has Nick, who is the sort of the sort of normal guy, right? And and he's the sort of lower status guy to her because he's the vice president and she's the president. And then it has uh, Jared is his name, right? Who is the ducky character? He's the weirdo who has the uh, who has the Trans Am and with the blue with the red flames, which is great. And he but he's super rich, like he's a billionaire or something, right? Like he has a giganto usher yacht or something like that, right? Or is at least capable of renting one on short notice and putting his face on a bunch of things. Uh, which is not that expensive, but the the whole prospect, it seems like Jared is sort of weird, aloof, super rich, and everybody else is like merely very wealthy. 
and and he's and it's trying to interrogate this idea. I think that like poorer people are authentic and richer people are fake. Um, with this idea of like the 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 misunderstanding about what's going on with the normal people in her school and their relative sort of intellectualism, and then also the guy that she ends up with is the weird guy and also the rich guy. So it's something of an apologia for eccentric wealthy people in this sort of like shadow version of Booksmart, which like 15 percent of remains in the final movie. Right. This sort of like shadow movie that seems to have gotten because they 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 kiss full on the mouth on stage at graduation, which I think is the first physical affection they show each other in the entire movie. And they barely know each other. Right. So you got to think no, that there was some- they sat they sat together on the, the, the mantelpiece and they uh, <laughs> he, he, he uh, told her that he was into to Broadway musicals. So there you go. That's true. You know? they bonded and as far as we know, that may have been the Molly's character's first kiss ever. That's true. That's true. It's that's maybe that's exactly what her dream was, which was to have an utterly Instagrammable moment. It's like the problem with first kisses is they're too personal. I want to have my parents <laughs> and everyone else kissed ending. Like, how about I have my first ever kiss in the middle of a baseball field? <laughs> I'm sure that that'll assuage your anxiety, right? But but it's but it's like, what does that mean? That the feminine, like, I, here, here's the mission statement for that version of the movie, right? Which is like, hey, straight white men, it's okay for you to have a Trans Am with flames on it, but your Trans Am with flames on it needs to be a feminist space, right? Like, like, and it's sort of like uh, she can enter into this world of kind of privilege and power and find a companion there. And because she believes in herself and because she's a feminist and is kind of like not internalized inferiority, she, you know, he is a worthy partner for her, not the other way around. Right. And like, she could be his, he could be her sidekick, I guess. And, and, but it's like, but the movie, I mean, I, there's not nearly enough left of this plot in the movie to understand exactly what it was they were going for, especially with the freaking drugged out lady character who shows up all the freaking time. Right, like, what's up with that character? What's going on? <laughs> yeah, but then, but then, like, she's, you know, it, look, it's a gloss on the idea that like people have hidden depths, right? Like, you kind of can't judge a, you can't judge a book by, uh, by its cover. But the, uh, it, it's sort of taken to a, a ridiculous extreme, isn't it? Like, it's not the the Breakfast Club uh, vision of like, hey, we're all a jock, we're all a, a burnout, we're all a nerd, you know, which is not, um, which is in fact not true. Like that statement is false that the, 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 that that film makes, but, um, it's that like, she has to be like a legit concert pianist, you know, (laughs) in order to like, in order to demonstrate that she has some sort of, uh, some sort of hidden depth, which is something about sexism because the Jared, the male version of that, of that character, like who's giving away iPads and the gift bags of, of his, you know, yacht party that no one wants to go to. Um, all he has to do is say that he wants to be an airplane engineer and not like that humanizes him, but she's got a, uh, you know, she's got to play a whole, uh, whole thing on, on the, the piano, but like, just as, as we sort of come towards, uh, the end of our high school experience here together, like lo- looking at that, uh, scene, that graduation scene, it's, it's, sort of it's interesting it might be a good place to end because like the the um the it seems like the the read that we're arriving at is this movie is is sort of a heteroglossia right like or or is is kind of multivocal anyway there there are different um different kind of movies that want to get out uh inside this movie and the the um there are kind of multiple versions it's you know what it is and whether that's like uh, an artifact of the way it was written with you know the script going through different writers hands or like a director coming in or the hands of of you know uh, i guess will ferrell and adam mckay were involved and like uh, whoever in the chain of like you know shepherding this property into production and and through editing and into the theater like however that um came about um like it it does seem like a little bit like uh early Hebrew scripture, right, like where Genesis has like two or three versions of the creation story, and you know the the Hebrew Bible has a couple different versions, a few different versions actually of the decalogue like the, the, this is a movie this movie is a palimpsest you know it's it's written and written over and written over uh and written over again, and so there are multiple. 
uh, versions of the apotheosis, right? Is the apotheosis uh, when she busts her friend out of jail? Is it when she gives the speech? At her graduation, right? If Tom Stoppard wrote this this movie, if he did an uncredited rewrite, there would have been this like beautiful, eloquent speech uh, that I was kind of looking forward to and dreading also uh, at the same time. Um, is it when she kisses the boy? Is it when she drops her friend off at the at the um, at the airport and, but then Amy like disappears and like, she's, she's, they're going to go out for pancakes together before she gets on the plane. Um, where's your suitcase, by the way, you know, where's your suitcase? Keep your, keep your bags attended at all, at all times. I think it's actually, um, I think it's actually the moment in which she drives up with, with Jared is the, the, the film that, that emerged, like that's where its heart mostly is because it, it involves um, a certain kind of performance. It involves kinesis. It involves sensation, you know, and uh, and it, and everyone stands up and and applauds for it. Like that's um, that's to, to me. That's kind of the the apotheosis moment. That's like the high. That's the uh, uh, measurable. You know the the measurable part. Like how will we know when we have come of age? It's you know it's when you you uh, careen into your high school graduation in a classic car, tear, tearing up the turf, you know, with the wheels, and you know Tokyo drift uh, <laughs> Tokyo drift into your valedictorian speech. Right, right. I mean, you could also say it's like the Empire Records-esque, like, I'm also going to be in Botswana in the future, Liv Tyler, right? Like, let's yeah. uh, let's hang out together. <laughs> but, but uh, yeah, it's, there's definitely, it's a multipolar movie. Uh, Amy Poehler's not in it, but it is multipolar <laughs> in that respect. I don't know, Amanda, what did you see as the sort of, the, the moment where the movie kind of cashed out for you? Well, I think, to me, this movie kind of did a much more subtle version of the thing The Intern did, which is... It begins as a movie about Robert De Niro, and it ends Wait, as a movie tell, about you... Anne Hathaway. <laughs> Wait, is the intern not a subtle movie? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's just a, like it legit switches who the main character is halfway through. <laughs> oh, like Resident Evil? Does he get killed? <laughs> like, does the no. get Robert De Niro, and then it's no, like you it's switch, like they and you're tie playing up Anne his Hathaway? story. Yeah. And then, you know, the movie just keeps going like Anne Hathaway had been the protagonist all along. Yeah, and it's think, like, no, she's right. But it was about him and they just tie up his story. And now you're following her on her story. And it's like, she's great. I love her. But first of all, what's she doing with Anders Holm? And second, I thought she was a supporting character. Interesting. <laughs> and what this movie did was a much more subtle version of that, where I feel like it started with Molly. And at the end, it was more about Amy. Where, you know, Amy has the visit by Hope over to her house to, you know, talk and, like, basically, you know, say, you didn't ruin things forever, even though you puked on me, everything's fine, we can keep talking, let's see where this goes. And Amy goes to jail and all of that, like, I feel like at the end of the movie, it's a lot more about the character Amy than Molly. She definitely goes on a longer, on a, on a, on a more pronounced journey. Right. Yeah. Throughout. And, you know, it's still Molly giving the speech because she's the valedictorian. But at the end of the movie, they're taking Amy to the airport. You know, it's her journey there. And at the, and end, at the end of the movie, they the also fact- Molly holds her hand up and they all cheer for her because she, you know, distracted the cops and like got everyone out yes. of the party safely. And, you know, they have that fight where basically it comes out that their relationship was a little too codependent and maybe more on Molly's side. And basically Molly just decided, well, you're my best friend, so this is how we're going to go. And it's basically, I think from that point on, Amy's becoming her own person outside of her relationship with Molly. And they can still be friends, but she's now no longer just following her friend around on her night where she wants to go, but actually doing her own thing, which apparently involves (laughs) becoming a hero and getting arrested for it. (laughs) And I mean, this is what loops the movie together with Superbad, I think, right? Is like it's people have talked about this movie in Superbad a lot. I, for me, the moment that real, um, other than the fact that that Molly is doing a Jonah Hill impression for the first half an hour of the movie for no reason. Uh, like, she's doing an impression of her brother. Yeah, it's, it's because <laughs> oh, Beanie, a, Beanie Feldstein is Jonah Hill's younger sister. Because really? Jonah Hill is actually called Jonah Hill Feldstein. <laughs> 
I had no idea. See, this is what happens with stage names. <laughs> they should make a movie together. They should remake Dirty Work like with Charlie Sheen and Emilio Estevez, but with the two of them. They're the new Charlie Sheen and Emilio Estevez. I love it. I love it. Who knew Emilio Estevez? This is the real groundbreaking aspect of this movie, which is I did not know that this generation's Emilio Estevez was a woman, which is just spectacular. <laughs> and she needs to coach the Mighty Ducks. It needs to be a girls' hockey team. Okay, so that explains why they're so similar. All right, that makes and why they have a lot of the same mannerisms. <laughs> and also it explains maybe why people think the movies are similar. But to me, that last and the end of it really felt like kind of a we're not super bad, even though we can't get out of Superbad's shadow kind of thing, where it was like because Superbad is about this kind of um, you know, we talked about teen movies and kind of the compression and unity of uh of different kinds of rites of passage happening very fast around graduation. And in that case, it's like the because the men, you know, the boys become men. The men become wolves. No, the boys and the wolves become teen wolves. No, the, uh, the, because the boys uh, establish themselves as kind of sexual human beings and because they kind of establish themselves as adults outside of the context of school and as they sort of actualize themselves all in the space of like 45 minutes, uh, they then kind of move into a, a chapter of their lives in which they won't be friends with each other because the affection and the intimacy that they share with each other is going to be redirected into their relationships, right? It's like a, it's a movie about boys going into heterosexual relationships and leaving behind the kind of homosociality of adolescent manhood. Uh, and in that sense, they have to say goodbye at the end of the movie, and it's kind of sad because they've changed because that's what's happening in the movie. And this is a movie that kind of makes makes a joke about the idea that all the events that have kind of changed them whether it's that's it changed them more, whether it's changed their reputation, whether it's changed their relationship. Uh, you, you you're saying, oh, now they have to really say goodbye to each other. Molly's going to go be friends with the uh, with Annabella or her name is right <laughs> at Yale. Right. Uh, and and then and uh, Amy is going to go off with hope. There's an on the nose name for you uh, in Africa and go like really, really make, deal with very socially conservative African parents who are going to have a problem with her, but that's, that's the sequel. But the point is like, Oh, they're going to split up and they've come to just, they're gone their separate ways. No. At the end of the movie, like, no, it's ridiculous. Of course we're still friends. You know, like the idea that these events would cause us to not be friends anymore is just on its face. Absurd, which seems to me like something of it's either, it might be, it seems like it sits in the movie as a sort of criticism of other team movies that show everybody parting ways. Like in, uh, it's also a criticism of can't hardly wait, which ends with them eating pancakes, right? Where like, um, uh, where the I never remember that actress's name. It's the same actress. Jennifer Love Hewitt. No, no, the oh. the better actress. Uh, uh, Claire Fisher from uh, Six Feet Under. Uh, Lauren Ambrose. Yes, yes. yes. <laughs> Lauren, I don't mean to. I, I forgot her actual name too. But Lauren, I mean, I don't. That's not to bash Jennifer Love Hewitt. I think Lauren Ambrose. No, yeah, Lauren Ambrose really is great amazing. Act. Yeah, and so her and Seth Green's relationship is kind of ends up being the kind of third act anchor of Can't Hardly Wait, uh, and it comes kind of as a surprise somewhat as the other main plots are going, and it ends with them like eating pancakes together. With a and the joke is the sort of after action intertitle comes up and it's like then they broke up like a uh, you know an hour later <laughs> right like uh, because of course everybody has to part ways after graduation and that's the sort of Melissa Joan Hart plot in that movie but this movie kind of criticizes all of that and saying like no we're not just these sort of high concept teen types who vanish into the ether at the end of this movie and who like, you know, graduation is kind of the veil, right? We pass through graduation and we die, right? And like the world is over and everything that we've done has ended. And it's a sort of existential movie about what you can accomplish before you cease to exist as a meaningful person at prom, right? <laughs> um, when you're young and you matter, unlike Jason Sudeikis driving a lift with the chili <laughs> Um, oh, but gr- no, it's great. It's, no. By the way, great, fantastic detail. Actually, oh. you know, uh, we uh, we can't go into it, unfortunately. But like, really great when he shows up in the lift. That's fantastic. Oh yeah, definitely. But yeah, the the gist of it is that this is a movie that at the end wants to be more of a ladybird movie and wants to say like the teen movie archetypes are not real. <laughs> even though this has been a teen movie, even though the first half of the movie makes you think that it's about all of the supporting characters in my brother's 21 Jump Street films, you know, it's actually sort of about an idea of real people <laughs> and real people don't cease to exist at graduation. Uh, and and so on and so forth, as is evidenced by the fact that, uh, you know, Matt and I, you know, we both graduate, although not high school together. No, but, uh, but but we graduated college together, which you you realize is you know I don't know it's yeah it's it, 
interesting in in a day in a, a world of like online learning and sort of edu- disruption, um, quote unquote disruption. Innovation, uh, uh, innovation in education, right? As um, you know, the traditional kind, and I shouldn't say traditional because it's it's not really traditional. It's it's um, you know less than a hundred years old, really. But the kind of like American academic credentialing uh, that goes on among the ruling class here, right? Like in a day when that is being sort of disrupted, or at least it's becoming like economically unfeasible for a lot of people. Uh, how do you? Um, how do you make a uh, how do you make a movie like what what are the the social signposts um, for making a coming of age movie without the the sort of shared sociological language of of high school anyway another another question that this this film doesn't address but I think we have to 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 leave our discussion there like like so many things in life you you think you're going to kind of come to the end and arrive at a great uh, deeper meaning um, but uh, at the end of every podcast all we can do is go out for pancakes together so thank you for listening uh, to us talk about book smart thank you very much Pete and thank you Amanda for joining me on this podcast we'll be back next week with more overthinking it podcast till then visit us on the web at overthinkingit.com where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny. It probably, probably doesn't, doesn't deserve it. <laughs>